the one thing I could say is is embracing that fact that uncertainty is certain. It will happen every year and building yourself and your program to accept that reality that you're going to get knocked off course and you're going to have to adjust to it. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Avril Eklund and Sean O'Mara from GitHub. Avril is the head of global workplace security and safety, and Sean is the crisis and business continuity manager. They really make a fantastic team, especially with their law enforcement backgrounds, and I'm really excited to have them here together today. Avril, Sean, how are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks, Peter. Great. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, Our topic today is about how employee duty of care and business continuity have been impacted in this remote work area that's been thrust upon so many of us in 2020. But before we dive into that, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you do at GitHub? Avril, maybe we can start with you. Hey, sure, Peter. Thanks. As uh, head of global workplace security and safety at GitHub, I oversee all our physical security operations, um, includes intelligence, travel security, executive protection, crisis management, business continuity, and workplace safety. Uh, GitHub includes nearly 2,000 employees distributed across 15 countries working at home and in offices. About 70% of those employees worked remotely even before COVID work from home policies. To give you a sense of how global we are, we're headquartered in San Francisco, but we have offices in Oxford, Amsterdam, and Tokyo. Um, additional offices in the U.S. in Bellevue, Washington, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And we have group co-working spaces across major cities um, globally, including Sydney, Melbourne, Copenhagen, New York City, Boulder, Colorado. In 2020, we announced operations in India, so we're in Hyderabad and Bangalore now. I joined about a year and a half ago to build the global security team, and our workplace physical Security strategy has evolved and grown tremendously during that time, as you can imagine. Prior to GitHub, I was head of security operations and incident management for WeWork. And before that, I held a variety of roles in state and local law enforcement in Pennsylvania for about 20 years before moving to the private sector. Okay, fantastic. Sean? Uh, As senior manager of crisis management and business continuity at GitHub, I oversee efforts to keep us resilient as an organization and plan for how we respond to potential disasters. Uh, Prior to joining the private sector and GitHub in April, uh, I ran business continuity and crisis management for the Federal Reserve for the 12th District, uh, which is attached to their law enforcement unit, uh, for about four and a half years. I also worked in emergency management for New York City via their health department and emergency management for the city of San Francisco. Okay. Well, great. I mean, fantastic backgrounds. I think you bring just a different view and a lens onto employee safety that um, others may not have. So I'm really excited to get into some of these questions we have for you today. Um, Now, as we start here, I know GitHub is a bit different than a lot of organizations uh, in that it was really already largely a remote workforce, even before COVID-19. So you guys were probably a bit better positioned than most others to absorb the impact. But I am curious, what was the impact for you? And what, I guess, for lack of a better term, enlightenments have you discovered about the role your employees play in business continuity? From a continuity perspective, uh, being here only since April, 
the first thing I saw is I'm in pretty much constant awe of just how resilient our hubbers, what we call them, our employees, um, are to everything. I mean, they're having just normal life thrown at them, COVID, um, wildfires, um, you name it, right? It's 2020 has been a year. Um, and so I, I think their own individual resilience. And if I've learned one thing is how individuals really do add up to cumulative resilience for an enterprise. So something like GitHub is nothing without these individuals. And the fact that they have been so resilient through 2020, it's been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Avril, I think you were going to say something as well. Um, along the same lines, we were about 60 to 70% remote prior to this, but I think, um, I think you were right. I think it did set us up for a little bit of an advantage, but it was nice to see the entire company, how quickly everyone just really embraced the remote first culture that we've always had. And even people that had been in offices, they it just overnight went home. You know, we evolved our home office policy to accommodate, you know, additional needs that people have. And we were able to kind of really revamp our offerings pretty quickly to make sure all of our employees felt safe and comfortable working at home. And were able to keep doing their best work with as little interruption as possible, despite kind of all the chaos going on around them. Yeah. And that it's all comes down to chaos. And I think you're right. That individual uh, resiliency and this ability to rapidly adapt to change is just such a huge aspect of maintaining business continuity. And I think crucial to adapting quickly is communication. And as you think of all these newly remote companies that weren't like you, um, and they're out there and they're finding it hard to communicate right now, especially in urgent situations, not just for the common stuff, what tips can you give for creating sustainable processes to ensure that company communications do get to remote workers? I think uh, at GitHub, we've always relied heavily on async communication. So we use things... um, like GitHub, the platform itself, to really make sure there's just a lot of documentation. So I think a lot of it is making sure, and people quickly got better at it when everybody was remote, at really documenting everything that they needed to to make sure that everyone knew what everyone else is working on. So you kind of have some business continuity improvements there where everybody knew what everybody's working on all the time. Everybody knew where to find that information. It was documented more clearly. I think for kind of urgent matters that pop up, that's where we, you know, we realized... We used the tools we had until we could get a mass communication system on board. And then once we got it, we rolled it out as quick as we could, got everybody trained on it and just kind of kept moving. Keep improving with what you had, work with what you have in the beginning and then keep improving from there. Yeah. Would you say that erring on the side of over-communication, as long as it's targeted to the right people, is probably the better way to go than to let people kind of wallow out there in confusion and chaos? Yeah, I think we definitely found that to be true. People really... um, looked to us as a source of information to our security team. I think the more chaotic the real world got, especially when um, with so much disinformation out there and lack of clarity about what to do about COVID, what are the sources of truth, um, people really kind of come back to what felt normal to them, uh, which is their workplace, right? Where do people spend most of their time, most of their, their week is either at work or working with the same people. So when things started getting chaotic in the real world. We found a lot of people looked internally to our security team and to GitHub to be that kind of source of truth and really kind of lead the way for them and push information to them. So I think knowing what information people were looking for and knowing how to get it to them really became critical. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And we, we hear that quite a bit. It's interesting. You, you mentioned that trust that people have with their employer because they spend so much time at work. They, they kind of trust you more than they do like the local news or what they hear elsewhere. 
So I think a lot of security departments need to be aware of that and they need to be ready to respond and I guess uh, take on that responsibility that's been thrust upon their shoulders and have a way to communicate. Because if you don't do it, then you're just leaving people to go out to social media and elsewhere and they don't trust it as much. So yeah, that's a really good point. There's nothing quite like a large scale disaster to shine light on preconceived notions <laughs> to help us reevaluate our plans. So Sean, I guess this is for you. Has COVID-19 changed the way you think about business continuity? Yes and no. Um, no, because things have always been random, but definitely a hard yes when it comes to a lot of traditional business continuity looks at physical locations, right? Physicality. It comes down to whether someone's server site is up, down, where your physical office locations are, et cetera. Um, those are certainly not going away. That infrastructure is still very important. Um, but I think looking at the human infrastructure um, has been a pivot, um, understanding mm -hmm. the skill sets that individuals have, um, understanding where they're geographically clustered, um, things like that, kind of, and the risk that opens up an organization to. And then going beyond that, um, beyond skill sets, you have authorities or teams, like where are they located, right? Um, so moving a little beyond just the physical location of your infrastructure, but also starting to think of your physical location of, uh, people that have authority, um, you know, leadership position, they can authorize certain things. And then also um, just where those teams exist and skill sets and ensuring that they're all clustered around one hazard. Have you had to really expand out your plan to say, okay, we used to have people here making decisions and they were in an office. Now they're kind of spread around in their homes with maybe not the best internet connectivity and maybe it goes out and they can't communicate. Like having to think about resiliency from that standpoint, what do we do if someone's home internet goes out and they were a pivotal part of the organization? Has it exposed things like that to you? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, to the extent that we're not going to be able to harden someone's individual home as much as, you know, say, a, say an office. Uh, but yeah, it certainly does open up a whole set of questions um, that we're definitely exploring. Um, you know, what is that level of individual resiliency that's expected of, of one employee versus an office, right? Right. Uh, so I think it's a change in thinking. Um, I think that's going to be with us for a while. Yeah, I think that's, if there is a benefit to COVID, the protracted length of this crisis has really let those kind of things come to light and given us more time yeah. um, to really start thinking about things like that and really notice issues like that, that maybe in a shorter term incident, you know, we wouldn't have time to even think that far ahead or that deeply into it. Yeah, you're just going to get through it. And now we're not just getting through it. It's like becoming part of business. <laughs> yeah. So I think this will make us more resilient overall, at least for the organizations that have seen and adjusted, um, which I think will be good in the long run. Um, there's this growing legal and moral concept referred to as duty of care, suggesting that organizations have a duty to ensure the safety of people in their care. And I think it's pretty obvious when you consider people at one of your facilities, but how does that extend to people when they're off-site? Like specifically, what are some ways you address the protection of your remote employees and extend duty of care into people's homes? Avril, maybe that's something you can jump into first. Sure. I think we've taken a couple different approaches. I mean, we've um, when we wrote out kind of our SOPs around our duty of care, we made it clear what we believe our kind of legal obligations are and where that kind of goes into customer service, the customer service element of that. Um, I think as far as the our actual duty of care responsibilities, our information security team provided guides to people early on how to keep their, their Wi-Fi safe, how to keep their computers and their devices safe. 
um, how to make sure that they use VPNs and things like that to make sure they're, they're taking measures to protect their access. Um, our security team has provided things like videos on how to build out your go bag. So, you know, when things like the wildfires pop up on top of COVID, people know what to have in their go bag to be ready to like run out the door and be ready to go. Um, we've, with the civil unrest, we put together a guide on how to stay safe during civil unrest. We have, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are involved in activism and want to be out there in it. So we want to support all of our employees, um, including, you know, things that I think everybody did, how to stay safe during COVID and protect, protect your health and the health of your family. I think once we got Alert Media in place, we were able to go beyond the legally required duty of care and develop this customer service piece of security and safety. As you mentioned, keeping people safe in our buildings is a priority and a legal obligation, but we don't have people in our offices right now. So we've been able to really dedicate time to figuring out what customer service looks like related to regional and local emergencies and our emergency messaging. Despite being a small team, uh, there's only five of us, we've expanded beyond the larger incidents like hurricanes and earthquakes to leverage technology to monitor and alert our employees to regional and local incidents that are relevant to them. Our goal from a customer service perspective is to really give our employees a bit more peace of mind so they can do their best work wherever they are and not be worried about constantly monitoring the news for important information they might be missing out on. That's great. Now, I guess uh, culturally as an organization, what made you guys take that leap? Because a lot of companies just say, look, once people leave the facility, eh, you know, it's not really our responsibility. And that's not bad. It's just a decision a company has to make. Um, is this is this kind of go back to the fact that you guys have traditionally been more of a remote workforce, so you're a little bit more sensitive to it? Yeah, I think the goal of our security team has always been to support the business and to make sure that our employees can do their best work and not be worried about security, not be worried about their safety. So if there's things that we can do to kind of give them a little bit of peace of mind so they can focus on work and they can focus on, you know, the business side of the company, then we'll do what we can to, to try and fulfill that. Um, so they, you know, we'll worry about things so they don't have to. So if they can, if they know right. that they can count on us to kind of look, look out for them and have their backs, then we're happy to provide that service where we can. Yeah, it makes sense. This kind of goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If people feel safe, then they feel like they can go on and do other things. And when you have people just traditionally working from home, that's an extra step you have to go go to to make sure they feel safe so they can be productive. And I think that's just a big challenge for a lot of organizations that don't have a lot of remote workers until COVID hit, um, that they're just not used to that. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, just just out of curiosity, have you done anything interesting to support your employees' just overall general well-being during the pandemic, like increase the mental health things that you do for them or activities that you do the, over Zoom or whatever you know platform you use, things like that? Any good ideas or um, lessons learned you can share? Our team has really been able to um, look holistically on how to support remote employees um, beyond their physical security to include their mental and physical well-being. So we've offered things like yoga classes online, um, cocktail, oh, cocktail wow. making classes. So, you know, with our favorite bartender, um, cooking classes, we have a coffee and beats session every week where a local musician comes on. Um, so it's kind of like a, kind of like a coffee hour with your coworkers and they'll have, you know, a mu local musician playing. So I think it's had kind of the dual benefit of supporting people's mental well-being and giving them that sense of connectedness with their coworkers, with the company, but it's also supporting people that might um, not be able to work the way they traditionally did, um, like bartenders and things like that, businesses that might not be open right now. So I think it's had some, some right, dual right. benefit. Our employees really seem to like it. And I think it really helped keep that sense of, um, cohesiveness 
with, within the company when people feel so disconnected otherwise. I think it's uh, yeah. helping with that. Yeah. And not just disconnected because they're remote from the company, but they're like remote from life right now. <laughs> Can't even leave your house. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly for people that may be living alone or maybe even not, but just tired of the people in their house. It's kind of nice to have that sort of um, that connection with other people where you're not focused on work. And you can just relax and and do something else. Well, I imagine it can be quite confusing for people to distinguish where the line should be drawn between this legal, like legally mandated duty of care uh, and then other programs or activities that some organizations may choose to take on and provide by choice. So is there like any concern that employees begin to expect that the business continuity and security teams will and should offer like concierge emergency managed services? Like can employee expectations be stretched a little too far and unreasonable uh, to like really unreasonable limits if you're not careful? Yeah, I'm sure that's possible. I think we tried to really make it clear in our SOPs what we considered our sort of our actual responsibility. And then when it becomes customer service, I think we found early on that um, education goes a long way or, you know, a lot of the employees at GitHub didn't realize we were at the time of you know, the majority of the last year have been a three-person security team supporting the whole company. So when we first started using Alert Media, um, we had the California wildfires, and then we started getting feedback from people asking, why didn't we notify them about like very specific local events, or why didn't we notify them six months ago about a larger event before we even had the system? Um, once we explained that we were a three-person team and that like we're happy to do whatever we can to support our employees, but there's just three of us, trying to manage the globe, people were completely understanding. Um, so I think some of it is just employee education. They just, um, people don't know what to expect. And if you give them the information and let them know that, you know, we're going to do what we can, but here's some of the limitations, people seem to, uh, at least the people we work with, GitHubers have been great about it and been totally understanding. Yeah, I think that's a great point that it's all about just setting expectations and communication. If you're just upfront and honest with people, they're like, oh, okay, well, that makes total sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll lay off now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of it myself. <laughs> Sean, what, what what are your thoughts? Have you, do you have any good stories you can share or you probably can't? <laughs> Uh, nothing too crazy. I mean, I, I, I did, I did personally experience some of these kind of comparisons of, uh, well, what about this? And, you know, it's, I think putting out what the the standard is or what the expectation is early is, is, is wise. Um, and I think that's the, the main learning and, and being honest with your capabilities actually are both with yourself, your team, and then leadership, right? We can do, you know, we can handle something at scale, but then once it exceeds that, then we have to start looking, we have to go beyond the kind of individual, um, so yeah, there's a risk that you can kind of get sucked into this concierge emergency management, but I think you could, um, you can put in breakers for yourself so you don't fall off a cliff. I'm sure you've got some interesting stories to share, but I won't put you on the spot and ask you about those, <laughs> about requests people have made. <laughs> um, but you did mention something earlier that, that, uh, piqued my interest. Um, you know, you're, you're West coast based and you've had to face the pandemic, but then also the recent wildfires, which have been the worst. And I mean, memory, it's been pretty horrific. So what was your emergency response strategy during the times when the fires were the worst? And did you learn anything that will impact the way you approach duty of care going forward when you think about layering pandemic on top of wildfires? Short answer, yes. Um, one, you know, luckily it's two, two events that are moving at different speeds, which makes it uh, slightly more manageable, right? If you had two acute events occurring simultaneously, I think right then and there, there's a learning to be had, um, is that we were able to 
kind of track down our folks, check in on our hubbers, see how they're doing, track the wildfires up and down the West Coast and kind of give a, an individualized approach to this when we could. But then as it scales, that becomes more and more difficult. And so you have to start looking at large swaths of people, regions, and the real impact to the business or life safety. Um, so if anything, I think the, the limit is probably the scale and it becomes less feasible as you, as you go and the comp- complications go. Um, so in some ways we were kind of lucky that it's two, like I said, two different events moving at different speeds. Um, and so if it was both high velocity, high impact events, then I think you need to, you need to prioritize is kind of what I learned. Well, as you think about the future, you know, the entire world has clearly been upended since the beginning of the pandemic. And as it relates to duty of care for employees, what do you think security and, and business continuity leaders should be thinking about as we embark on hopefully a new year that's going to be better, but probably full of uncertainty? There are really a lot of things to unpack there. I get it. We could probably talk for the next three hours on it. But what would you say are the top few items to consider if you're a, a leader in, in that space on the continuity side or the security side? I think we really need to think about how to support remote workforces. I don't think even at GitHub, I'd be surprised if our numbers that were in the office are the same after COVID. So I think um, that's definitely going to be true for other companies. And from the benchmarking that I've done, it seems like that's generally true across the industry that not as many people are going to go back to the office. So I think a lot of companies in security leadership is really going to have to focus on what services can they provide remote employees or employees working in co-working spaces or wherever it might be outside the traditional physical office. Um, What can they do to support them? Where does that kind of duty of care end? Um, how is that going to evolve? How is that going to evolve from leadership's perspective? You know, is are the C-suite going to be looking for more support or less? And where do they want to draw the line? I think generally looking at those kind of things. Yeah, it seems like it's here to stay. Um, and just just curiously, do you, do you think it'll stay pure remote where people are literally just working out of their houses? Or will you see like a flex model where people are going to be cycled in and out of places like a couple times a week, you can go somewhere and then you work at home other days. Do you have any idea how that's going to unfold? If I had to guess, I'd say that um, it'll probably be the flex model. I think that people are really figuring out at this point where they work the best. And if they're more productive, companies are going to support that. So if you're productive going to the office two days a week, then your company's probably going to support that versus making you come in five days a week. I'm sure there's a lot of um, savings in commute time and commute money and things like that for people um, that work in places like New York and San Francisco and maybe Seattle, where you're spending a lot of time you know, just driving to work. If you're more productive yeah. staying at home or working in a local co-working space or, you know, some other arrangement like that, then I think you're going to see more and more companies supporting that. With traditional offices, I won't be surprised if um, if it's a hybrid model where people come in two or three days a week and aren't in the office five days a week anymore. And I think that'll present some yeah. business continuity challenges like we've talked about, um, knowing where people are, knowing who's in the office when, when it's not the same people every single day knowing where they're working at, if it is at home or a co-working space, or if it could be somewhere different five days a week. Yeah. I mean, it kind of upends the whole way you think about, uh, and Sean, this would be, would be for you, like you, how you would execute on business continuity plans. If normally you rely on people to be in certain places, but they're kind of rotating around. Um, and then the disaster hits. Now you have to think of like two different ways of responding, <laughs> depending on people's availability. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we've actually kind of batted this around a little bit in terms of kind of just understanding where folks are. Are they are they somewhere for only 30 days? It's not work travel, but they're residing somewhere. It's not their residence, right? 
um, yeah, how do we track folks uh, in an event is certainly coming up, right? And it's going beyond home addresses or, or a home office. It's going to be another variable we'll have to factor as we go forward. For the next year, I mean, what I would say to say to folks is, I don't think Earth has ever experienced a quote-unquote certain year. Um, so it's, it's, oh, it's all uncertainty, right? And so I think, I think chaos is going to happen every year we're alive. Uh, and so the, the one thing I could say is, is embracing that fact that uncertainty is certain. It will happen every year and building yourself and your program some cushion to accept that reality that you're going to get knocked off course. A random thing is going to land on your plate and you're going to have to adjust to it. And setting that expectation with your team, leadership and, and the organization you're in will, will pay dividends. Yeah. Spoken as a true business continuity professional. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, as you think about that, what are some of the skill sets or capabilities that you think will be more important for organizations to have with either this idea of fully remote workforces or distributed teams or this kind of rotational model? What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, do you think your team will get bigger? Do you think you have to just inculcate in your people a more business resilient attitude and they're going to have to pitch in when when things happen. What are your thoughts on that? I think people are going to have to dig a little deeper to some degree because it's just a new environment. They're going to have to figure out how they operate in it. Um, and so, but then also teams are going to have to really understand how best to interact with themselves and how to leverage each other across distances. So, you know, it becomes less about the office, but more about a team's capabilities and then finding, finding when they can work. I mean, at GitHub, they embrace, we embrace a async work, right? So people will catch up as they go. So I think we've got a leg up in this space. Um, but I definitely think that's, that's a, that's a, it's a big thing for me is really coordinating with team members across a globe. Uh, it's going to become more of a norm. And how do you do that in a sustainable way? <laughs> um, and then particularly, how do you maintain that in an actual crisis or disaster too, right? How does that team come online together and execute on a problem if they're highly distributed? Um, so these are things that, that I'm thinking of. In Avril, uh, there's like a forward. whole different set of problems that, that you have from a facility standpoint. Like if you do have people coming in on this rotational approach, it's like Bob, he's authorized to badge in at the office on Tuesdays and, and Thursdays. And if it were normal times, no pandemic, it's like, ah, I don't care if he comes in on Wednesday or Friday or Monday. But under COVID, you can't have that, right? He's only supposed to be there when he's authorized to. So how do you get your head wrapped around that? How do people... <laughs> you know, enforce that. We're fortunate that our leadership has taken a conservative approach. So we haven't, we've only um, opened one office so far in Australia where it's pretty safe. Um, we're using a hot desking app to help manage um, headcount to make sure that the space doesn't get overfilled. But a lot of it is really going to rely on trusting our employees that they are going to care enough about other employees to not kind of break the rules um, and kind of a little bit of peer pressure there, right. To enforce social norms that, you know, if it's mask wearing or if it's how many people can be in a space or social distancing, that there'll be a little bit of peer pressure that'll keep everybody following those rules in order to keep everybody safe. Individual responsibility. I mean, I think that's huge. Yeah. It's definitely going to be a big deal going forward. Um, I mean, we're fortunate that our employees have always been pretty good with that. So hopefully that continues. I expect that it will. Well, I'd like to, to close by just asking one more question. We, we like to give our audience something they can take with them and immediately go make an impact on their organization. So what's something the audience can take action on today to help them improve their employee safety program? I think you, you have to meet the organization where it is. One, I think it's it, the first thing you got to do is understand the communication style of where you're going. Like I, Coming from the Federal Reserve to GitHub, um, there's some similarities, believe it or not, and then there's definitely some 
and differences. Uh, yeah, really fun to figure out where and how they communicate um, and emulating it to the best you can so you can get your messages across and kind of get engagement. Um, I think that's something you can do today. Um, if everyone is using a kind of communication medium you're uncomfortable with, dive right into it. You know, um, it's, that's how you're going to get um, an audience. Yeah. You don't want to talk over people, under them, at them. You kind of want to talk with them. It's communication. It's not yelling at people. Yeah. Well, particularly the at thing, I, I think that's you, that resonates to me a lot as I find that it, you you can try to scare people into something. It doesn't really work very well. So you can do all this, the scary crisis management stuff and continuity stuff and tell them what, how the sky is going to fall. Um, but it always goes a lot further to empower them that they'll be able to do something about it. Um, and whatever you can do messaging wise around that is a lot more valuable than giving a list of bad things that could happen. Certainly. Yeah. And here at alert media, I mean, we always start with the why, uh, when, when we decide we're going to do something, it's because we've thought about it. And if we just impose that on people without helping them go through the same pro- thought process we did, they don't accept it like we did. <laughs> so it's all about explaining the why behind it. This is why we're doing it. And then once you do that, I mean, it could take 60 seconds and it's amazing. The difference it's like, ah, totally get it. Right. And it makes sense. We'll go ahead and do that. Interesting. Well, Avril, from, from a security standpoint. I think relationship building and finding your security champions within your organization is probably like the, the key mm-hmm. thing to building your security program and really making it successful. You have to find the people that will help you spread your message, help you explain your why, as you just said, to other people within the company. Because you can't, I mean, our team of three or four, now five people, we can't reach all 2,000 employees at GitHub, or I think we're up to 2,400 now. So finding the security and champions that can really carry your message out, um, help you build that trust within your organization so that people look to you as that source of truth. And so people will listen to you and you say things like, please wear your mask, or please don't exceed the headcount, or please let us know where you are. Um, you need to really build that level of trust. So finding those people that can help you do that and be your advocates, I think is, is really key, especially when we're getting into, um, looking forward, there's going to be more and more, I think, privacy-related issues that security teams are going to run into when we've talked about you know, remote workers and knowing where people are. Um, you know, they have to trust us if they're going to share that information about their lives, if they're going to let us know mm-hmm. when they're, if they're moving around every 30 days or every six months or whatever it is, or if they're working in different spaces, they have to trust us with that information and trust that we're not going to misuse it. Um, and we need to earn that. So finding the advocates and the kind of security champions to help you build those relationships, build that level of trust with your employee base, I think is really key. Yeah. It's the only way you can scale. That makes total sense. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks for the fantastic conversation and providing both your perspectives on duty of care and and business continuity in this, well, I guess, crazy new era we've entered. Um, If anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you guys, what's the best way for them to find you? Avril, you first. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best. I'm on LinkedIn as Avril Eklund, or they can reach out to me at Avril Eklund at github.com. Okay, fantastic. And Sean? Uh, myself, they could uh, probably find me on GitHub. Uh, my email there is actanonverbal1 at github.com. Wonderful. All right. Well, Avril, Sean, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. 
We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.